welcome to Nelda Live. Join your host, Nelda Sue Yor, as she talks to the artists, dreamers, storytellers, and pioneers to learn about their inspiration and the tools and techniques they use to make a difference. You too might be inspired, because as Nelda likes to say, sometimes all it takes is a spark. Here's Nelda. Today I'm here with legendary futurist Kevin Kelly, one of the most dynamic thinkers and writers about the relationship of people with technology. A college dropout who spent years roaming and documenting Asia, he went on to become an editor of the Whole Earth Review, a co-founder of Wired Magazine, a founder of the Hackers Conference, and he also started one of the first online communities, The Well. He's also an author with so many interesting books on technology and society. And he's the guy behind Cool Tools, which he describes as a highly curated catalog of possibilities. So welcome to Nelda Live. Today I have uh, Kevin Kelly with me. Now, Kevin, I am just so honored to have you here. Um, recently, you turned 68. And, yeah. Yeah, and you have 68 pieces of unsolicited advice that you have published and as also have recorded for us. So I would like to know if I could pick your brain today about those. Sure. Okay. So I love your wisdom and uh, I'd like to just like kind of go through them and then have you maybe fill in some details for us on those. Okay. okay. All right. So I thought that it would be kind of fun if we uh, took it and we added a little randomness uh, to the algorithm. So I actually literally cut them all out, put them in a basket. We couldn't choose which were our mm -hmm. favorites. There's so many of them that are wonderful. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to see today. <laughs> uh, it's, like the, as, it's like the I Ching. <laughs> so we are. We're going to choose for the basket. Okay. So let's just go with it. All right. So... You are what you do, not what you say, not what you believe, not how you vote, but what you spend your time on. Yeah. <sighs> so that's a little reminder to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, um, it, how we, the, the, the only real gift that we have on our short life here is our time. And how we use that time is really far more important than what we say or what we intend or what we actually preach. And so we can be for you know fatherhood, but if you don't spend time with your kids, it doesn't matter what you believe or say about it um and you know vice versa it's like um you know i i, I can be um pro-environmental but my actions what i actually do are far more important than what i may believe about it and so um uh if we want to kind of gauge how we're doing ourselves, if we have a kind of a self-assessment, it's like, well, what did you spend your time the past week with? You know, if you spent 
two hour or an hour a day on your phone that says it's very important to you. No matter what you believe about that, that's where you are giving your attention and your time. Um, if you haven't read a book in a year, that says something about how you value books. So, um, so yeah, so, so in, in talking to people, it is interesting to hear them, like, you know, here I am pontificating about time and stuff, but you should really be judging me <laughs> on how I actually spend my time. And so, um, uh, and that's something I, again, that's something I try to remind myself about. Yeah. Okay. Right. So here's another one. Before you are old, attend as many funerals as you can bear and listen. Nobody talks about the departed's achievements. The only thing people remember is what kind of person you were while you were achieving. Yeah. So I'm now 68 and a half, and I attend more funerals than <laughs> when I was younger. And um, this came from an absolute observation of people that, um, you know, some cases had achieved a lot, and I was struck by the fact that that's not what people talked about. And other people who, you know, had a lot of friends, but maybe weren't famous or had never really seen their name in print or whatever. And um, they probably had more people at their funeral. And um, because they were, you know, concerned about their character and, their, and their, what they were like. And so um, we tend to be distracted by achievements. And, um, you know, I like achievements. Achievements are great. And there should be more of them. But far more important is, you know, what you're like as you're doing them, whether you uh -huh. send a thank you note or whether you, uh, you know, acknowledge the people who are helping or you know just your character and it's it's actually what we remember about people so another reminder that um uh yeah let's achieve things but on the way um let's become better people as we do it mm. so true i'm gonna read this next one and I love the fact that uh, this also came from advice, I believe, to your son as well. Um, when you were young, spend at least six months to one year living as poor as you can, owning as little as you possibly can, eating beans and rice in a tiny room or tent to experience what your worst lifestyle might be. That way, anytime you have to risk something in the future, you won't be afraid of the yeah. worst case scenario. Yeah. So that was a personal experience of myself. Um, I don't know if I did, did it deliberately, but I had the experience of living with very little means and also living among people who had very little and um, kind of discovering that um, I, could, I, could, I could do that. I, I wouldn't say that it was in any way um, uplifting, but I certainly could do it. And um, 
that knowledge has served me so well um, as I went along because there were, there were times when I decided to do something and it was pretty risky, you know, um, when we started Wired and stuff and I, I quit a job basically to do a book. And um, um, I, I remember saying, well, let me rehearse what the worst case would be if it didn't work out. And I got down to, you know, uh, eating beans or rice and sleeping bags. It's like, oh, I've done that. I can do that. I can do that for probably a couple of years. So, um, um, I, I, and you know, there are other reasons to have a kind of volunteer poverty or volunteer simplicity besides that, which we could explore. But that one is maybe even sufficient on itself. Yes. Okay. Here's another one. To make something good, mm. just do it. To make something great, just redo it, redo it, redo it. The secret to making fine things is in remaking them. Yeah. Um, it took me a long time to figure that one out. Like a lot of people, if you're not around people who are making things, you often just see the end product and it looks like they just did it in one go. Um, but being involved in making things, even things like a magazine, or um, the more I uh, became a maker and making things in a workshop, and, and, and this is important, and YouTube, as I watched people make things, it became clear and clear and clear that really good things were remade, that there was almost nobody who could just knock off something as they had it in their mind. Um, that it, and, and the more interesting the thing made, the less likely it was to have that you know, uninterrupted path, that there was all these detours as things were not perfect or not made or mistakes or a thousand other reasons why and that um the good stuff was the second draft the third draft um they went back and again and again uh and um that was something that i didn't know when i was in my 20s and i just thought well you know the professionals they just they just make it and it's done no, the professionals keep remaking. They just don't talk about it. Um, and they show you uh, trying out this beautiful thing at the end. So, so um, that, that, that willingness to or, uh, do it again. And, 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 you know, if anything, my, my writing career has just reinforced that. Um, the need to do multiple drafts of things in order to get where you, you want to get. Um, and the, anybody who says that they can do it in one draft is just either wrong or fooling themselves or not producing their best. Hmm. Huh. That's a good point. So this one, that one kind of leads into this one. So separate the process of creation from improving. Hmm. You can't write and edit or sculpt and polish 
or make <laughs> and analyze at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah, this, this is also something that one, I repeat to myself all the time. And secondly, it took me a very long time to, to figure out. And um, I saw it mostly when my kids were um, uh, learning how to write and make things. And um, um, in writing in particular, which is really hard for most people. Um, and so the, 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 the solution for people who have difficulty writing or making music, whatever it is, is to um, really encourage them and yourself to produce something as a first draft, as a first go around that you intend almost to throw away or that you have no real expectation of. It's just to begin knowing and, and, and while you're doing it, you're turning off all judgment about it. And this is the hard part. You're not trying to make it better as you are generating the first one. You're turning off all judgment about what is quality, it's whether it's worth doing, whatever it is. You're just in that process of making. You're just creating. And um, most people will find that if they are able to turn off that editor, polisher, critic, they can get something done. They can get something, and it's actually maybe better than they thought. And then you can go back and you start to apply the curator, the editor, the, the um, polisher, the crafter, the sculptor to, to make it better. And, and then the second time you go around, you have to turn that off again, and you are creating based on what you've done. And so that, that dance is something that you kind of almost have to either – you're very fortunate to discover yourself or to be taught. And um, I think it can be taught. Um, and so um, it's what most creators do, sometimes intuitively even not being aware of it. Um, I have to be a little bit more conscious of it and, and turn off that thing when I'm writing and it's like, well, oh, that first sentence, I can make that a little better. No, 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 no. You really want to separate those modes. Some people have more of ability to kind of switch back and forth as they go along, but I need to actually kind of turn off that editor mode because I'm much more of a born editor than I'm a born writer. And so editing for me is my first impulse, but I, want, I need to dial it back while I'm creating. And the same thing with photography. If you're doing photography, whatever it is, you kind of want to take it and not be editing them at the same time. Um, music. You want to try stuff and not be concerned about whether it's in pitch or out of tune, whatever. You just do that and do it, go back. So it seems to work in any kind of creative endeavor. Uh, and it seems to be important to separate those so um, you can get better at it. Yeah, it's interesting because you said the creator mind must be unleashed from judgment. I think that yeah. is so well said. <laughs> it's so well said. Uh Right. All right. Here's another one, which uh, I just love. Don't be the best. Be the only. Yeah. So no. talk to us about that. That's been attributed. That's not my coinage. It's been attributed to several people. I haven't found who exactly. But I, when I came across it, I was like, okay, this is exactly what I've been trying to do. So um, this is 
let's see how, how, how to begin. There's so much to say about this. Um, first of all, we're often taught to try to be the best. And the problem is, is that most of those uh, occupations or roles that we think of when we say the best are already occupied. They've got superstars in them. They've got people. So you're playing basketball, you want to be the best. You want to be the best basketball player, but that's a zero-sum game. There's only so many people who can fill that. Um, and the thing about it is, is that your set of, of talents and abilities and, and skills and temperament um, are probably, well, are different than anybody else's, including a world champ basketball player. And um, you're more likely to be able to succeed and coming up to your best if it's not in a role that's occupied by somebody else. Um, so you kind of want to arrive at your own niche, your own specialty. And in some ways, arriving there is easier than trying to become the world's best basketball player, which has already been occupied several times by people. But in other ways, it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult in the sense because you don't know where you're going. There's no map. So the reason why people become want to become world-class, you know, the best actor or the best basketball player is because that path is visible and clear. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are trying to become the only, that path has never been done before and that's the journey and that's your life. And it's hard because you don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's going to end up. You don't know where the detours are. It's easier in a sense that you have a higher chance of arriving there but on that way, it's a challenge and a difficult because it really requires you to kind of know yourself, to pay attention, to, 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 to be honest, to be self-reflective, to examine what you're doing, all these other things which are require a certain amount of confidence and leisure and privilege and stuff. So they're, they're more demanding. But I think aiming to be the only is um, much more likely for people to succeed in and much better for the world hmm. and thirdly much better for you so 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 um um you to do that you have to kind of figure out what you're the only about and that requires a lot of people around you. You can't do that alone. That's the whole point. That's why other people are in your lives. Other people are in your lives just to help identify what you're the only about. So you need. So, so this is not in any way a solo journey mm -hmm. to become the only. The only way you become the only is with everybody. That is so true. That is so true. As I talk to you, I have this amazing team, and I I, I feel that way all the time. Uh, right. They they are so much a part of honing in so many of the different things I'm doing now for this time in my life, right? You know? Sure. So yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, I love this one. Okay, Kevin. Um, you really don't want to be famous. Read the biography <laughs> of any famous person. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. 
fame is so overrated. It is even greatness is overrated. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's people think they want to be famous, but that you really don't, and um, you pay a penalty. There, 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 there's a huge cost to it, and that cost is not just in the kind of the things you might imagine, like paparazzi and that kind of stuff, and loss of privacy. No, no, the cost is the fact that um, the things that you're doing, that you're trying to achieve, um, often need not to be visible in their genesis. And that becomes impossible when you're famous. And so uh, a lot of famous people, you know, lament the days when they could kind of do things and try things that didn't work. But when you're famous, you don't have the option of failure. Mm. And failure is so crucial in the generative creative process. That's it's an essential element. You have to be able to try things that don't work or you're not learning or you're not going forward. And when you are famous, you that, that luxury is really constrained wow. in terms of how much failure you're allowed to have. And so um, it makes it very difficult to continue to be great and do good things. So, so that is, so it's, the cost is not just kind of like, you know, they're, tracking you no no you can't make a mistake the mistakes are so important you know that is such an interesting outlook on that kevin i've never thought of that before about the <laughs> that that aspect of it i mean i've thought i would never want to be famous but the idea that that they can't fail right in any in anything that they do but socially or even creatively um you know and that that's why people who continue to you know to do things like, say, Bob Dylan, almost become recluses in certain senses. And it's not because in any way they're unhappy with humans. It's just because they have to force some way that they can be creative. And you know, they would love to be able to walk through the streets unnoticed and unseen and pick up all that kind of stuff. And it becomes a huge challenge for them to feel connected to the culture in a way because they're not allowed to do the kind of common things. So so it becomes, it's a very difficult challenge. Mm. Mm. Okay, we'll take another turn here. When you get an invitation to do something in the future, Ask yourself, would you accept this if it was scheduled for tomorrow? Not too many promises will pass the immediacy filter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I was taught this by an editor at uh, Horworth Catalog when I arrived, and that's by Ann Herbert. And um, it's a trick that really does work, and I use it um, for um, my engagements, um, and it, uh, I recommend it. To anybody who's busy, um, so you—it's um, so easy to say yes to something that's six months down the road. It seems like a good idea, but if you think about it, well, my—if I had to do the next hour, get on a bus or get on the plane, go whatever it is, or drop what I'm doing, would I do it? Um, it needs to pass that test. So um, I'm glad to say, um, 
You passed the test. I passed the test. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. You can obsess about serving your customers, audience, clients, or mm. you can obsess about beating the competition. Both work, but of the two, obsessing about your customers will take you further. This um, came via um, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, who um, I've had the privilege of encountering um, numbers of times over the years. Um, and particularly in the early days, the first thing he would say to me is basically what could we be doing better as a you know, he knew I was a customer I've been a customer I was one of the first customers of Amazon and I've been ordering from them weekly for or it's 95 so I don't know 50, 25 years or whatever it is some crazy number wow so he says first thing is like what can we be doing better how, how can we be better it's like you know well give me a break but he was totally focused on that he said never I don't think about the competition because um, it's distracting. I want to f I want to pay attention to the customer first, and 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 that um, being useful, being utilitarian, being of service is really so powerful that it kind of overwhelms you know paying attention to competitors and what they're doing, and um, it's not that. That doesn't isn't necessary time or useful or even productive. But um, I, I just my own experience, both as a creator and as a customer, is that as a creator I get most of the mileage of really trying to say, you know, are we is this for the benefit of the audience or the user or whatever it is? And not is it convenient for us or is it how is it? fit into the landscape of what they could get. But no, am I, are we serving them first? And then as a customer, I, I can feel those entities that are really focused on, am I getting what I wanted? Did I get what I wanted? What else do I want? And so um, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful stance. It's a powerful point of view which is to really keep coming back to fundamentally, you know, um, is this really serving the customer? And, and, and that is a, that's a difficult thing to do when you're a creator. Because in all honesty, a lot of creation, a lot of stuff I do is for me. I am the audience. I am the customer. Mm -hmm. I'm not always thinking about others, and so um, so so. Anyways, so 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 that is the, for for creators. The, the challenge is is really to kind of think about um, others because a lot of us make stuff for ourselves first, and um, it's it's a step. It's a, it's it's a you know it's a stretch to to actually think about. Um, the people who, in the end, support us. Yeah, it's interesting. My team always says, you know, when we when we start go going for an interview and we get ready, our prep thing is what 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 does the audience? Yeah. What what does the audience need? What do they want to know? Yeah. We, exactly. you know, from this individual, right. from from this. So you know. Right. Yeah. So, experience is overrated. 
When hiring, hire for aptitude, train for skills. Most really amazing or great things are done by people doing them for the first time. So the second part of that is, you know, um, you can go through the list of whatever kind of legendary things that have been invented recently. And almost every single one of them was invented by someone who was making it for the first time. And, and oftentimes young with no ex experience in it at all. They're making it up. They're arriving at something that maybe people told them was even impossible to do. So, um, so we know in a certain sense that experience in doing something is not necessary for greatness. Yet we really tend to be looking for that when we're hiring people. And that's sort of weird. Um, so this observation or advice came from my own experience at Wired when we were hiring people because like a lot of startups, you're hiring really fast and you're hiring lots. And um, we were the same thing. We were, we were at the vanguard of inventing the web. So there was no, there was nobody with web experience. I mean, it was like, um, there was nobody with, and we were we were making the web. And so um, we found, at least I found that um, the character and attitude and all these other intangibles about that person were far more important to us than what their skill was. Um, because we were going to impart those skills or we were not, not even impart, we didn't have them, but we were going to cultivate mm. those skills. We were going to co-invent those skills. Um, but that's a very hard thing to overcome because some reason there's a natural tendency in people hiring to want to look at what you've done so far and do you have skills? Um, do you have experience? Um, and, you know, my kids are young adults and so they encounter this all the time. Um, even as they hire other people, there's a leftover, I think, antiquated idea um, in even some young tech companies where people have to have these experiences. Either there's a, they're a priority given to the number of years of experience and I, think that's totally misguided um but i would because i'm a college dropout and i don't really <laughs> believe in those kinds of things for myself um but in my own experience and, and the good people that we hired and have gone on was that they did not have experience in these things but they had a lot of other qualities that right were very important you know i i look at your life and and, and i hope those that are who may be seeing you for the first time, which I can't imagine, but anyway, um, might look at your portfolio of your life. You know, I, I think your your life has been, uh, up to now, has just been so fascinating. <laughs> and, yeah, and I've been very, very lucky, is the honest truth, to be born where I was born, to be born at the time I was born, and many other conditions um, that, um, uh, and, to have seen a lot of the world at a time when it was um, both easy to see and still unchanged from historical times 
So I talk about this a lot in my own travels, that the, the, the weird luck that I had to be traveling in parts of the world that had not changed forever, for millennial. But that until that moment, you would have needed to have a whole expedition and a lot of money to go visit, like say up in Nepal or Tibet or somewhere in the 70s, um, Afghanistan. Um, but I was just at the moment where you could get there riding on the back of a truck or a Jeep or something with very little money. Mm. And so, um, so I got to see the past in a way that is no longer possible. And before that was hardly possible unless you were very, very wealthy. And so that was, um, that was a luck that really has informed a lot of who I am because I got to see what the world looked like without a lot of technology. And that has convinced me that there is such a thing as progress, that, we, we, that today is actually better than it was 200 years ago uh, or even yesterday, and that we can incrementally inch forward a little bit better, a little tiny, tiny bit better every year. I call it protopia. And that little tiny bit accumulated over centuries is civilization. That's what we get. That's it's a beautiful view. And, and, and I agree. So there's two more that I want to ask you. Then I have sure. some other things. But I think it may be something that our society really, really needs. And it's treating a person to a meal never fails. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to do. It's powerful. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, humans, for a long time in the future and, and always in the past, you know, sharing a meal together is a very powerful, bonding, illuminating um, moment. And um, uh, it's an invitation that's... Um, Simple, natural, non-creepy, uh, and yet um, works whether you know that person or don't know the person, whether they're an old friend or someone who's a stranger. And um, we forget how easy it is to do. Of course, these days, it's <laughs> maybe being reminded of how easy it was. And... Um, uh, you know, there, there there are other kind of people who've had rules about never eating lunch alone. Um, you know, um, and those kinds of rules of thumb, which which are um, very much part of this, which is that uh, reaching out to someone to to share some time with them, even if it's not over a meal, is a, is is a very easy thing, yet a very powerful thing because it can renew a friendship and it can be an invitation for making a new friendship. It, it, there's hardly any downside to it. It's like planting a tree, you know? In fact, maybe that's a good way to think about it. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. It's a beautiful way to think of it. Okay, here's one that I look at so much of what's going on, particularly in our country, and I think of, of how much civility we need. Mm -hmm. Learn how to learn mm -hmm. from those you disagree with or who even offend you. See if you can find the truth in what they believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, as you say, you know, we're talking at this moment the day before election day, and um, there is a lot of disagreement, and um, it is um, not easy to uh, get past some of those disagreements. But in my own experience, um, when you attempt to, um, it's it, 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 it's very rewarding to be able to 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 to, to increase your understanding. So so um, I'm not sure I'm not sure why it isn't more often, and I think um, I think it has to do with um, well, first of all. It obviously takes two people to do this, right? You can't really, if one person is eager to try to transcend it, the other one's not, that's really hard to do. So it works best when both are inclined to try and overcome and see what the other person's saying. One of the tricks for doing this that I try to use when in a situation is to try to get to a point where I can restate the other person's argument to the satisfaction of them. Ah. So I want to be able to understand your side to the point that I can repeat it and you say, yes, I understand it. That's a pretty high bar. Doesn't mean that, so, 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 but, but, you know, if you can, that really moves the conversation along. So if you have some view on immigration, whatever it is, I want to be able to understand your view to the point that I can repeat it back to you and you say, yeah, that's what I think. That's one trick that you can use in trying to get there. Um, and it requires in really listen and it requires to really get it up to be able to, to repeat it back. But if you can do that, doesn't mean you agree with it. Just means you understand it. That is a great tool. Mm. Okay, I'm going to borrow your tool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before you have to go, though, I want to be certain that we talk about something that I know is um, one of your passions, and that is the Long Now Foundation. Sure. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, so tell us its history and what it's working to achieve. Thank you for asking. Um, now, there's a reason why I'll thank you later, but the short answer to what it is, is um, it's a nonprofit that was formed to encourage long-term thinking, to actually encourage in the sense of trying to develop the field of long-term thinking and perspective, to think in terms of generations. Hmm. So an institution or an individual, but usually institutions who think long-term would begin to work on something that may not even be done during their lifetime. It may take more than one generation. It may complete it long after you were gone, maybe even three generations. So, there, so, so we, society, civilization, are the benefit of Many things that were begun long ago, many things like a cathedral, it's kind of called sometimes called cathedral thinking, where you 
know that it's going to take more than your lifetime to finish, but you begin anyway. And there are other things that, besides cathedrals, that we would maybe want to make that would require more than a generation to complete. But there's also things where we would make them now and they may take several generations to pay off. So a lot of basic science research and technology yeah. research done at universities is kind of pure research and look at it and say, what's the use of that? We don't know. But our past experiences suggest that over time, we'll figure out ways to do it and that the payoff will come down the road. Things like prime numbers. I have a great story of meeting this mathematician graduate student in the 70s who told me what he was working on was prime numbers. You know, prime numbers like one, three, five, seven, nine. These are ones that can't be divided by anything but themselves. And it's like, I thought, man, like, you know, that's like a waste, right? Prime number, you're playing with prime numbers? Well, what's the point of that? Well, 40 years later, prime numbers and the theory of prime numbers and the stuff that he was studying is a foundation of encryption. Mm. And it's how encryption works. It's all in factoring prime numbers and the work that this guy was working on. And it's the reason why we have e-commerce today. It's the reason why you can go on Amazon and buy something safely with your credit card. It's the reason why you can have um, Wi-Fi with encryption. So I didn't see that. Maybe the smarter people in the university understood this, but they understood that the payoff is for his paying for his salary was going to pay off dividends way down the line. That is long-term thinking. That's the kind of stuff that the Long Now Foundation has been trying to promote, to encourage, to teach that we need to think about how to be a good ancestor. Okay, we're going to be ancestors. We, we want to we want to bring forth things that our ancestors will thank us for. Thank you for starting that program, that internet thingy-ding, or making this system. We thank you for that, just as we have to thank our ancestors for so much that they've built for us. The free library system, Carnegie, okay? So among the things that we have been promoting, uh, and as an emblem of long-term thinking, we built a clock inside a mountain in West Texas. It's 500 feet tall, this clock. It's a real clock, it exists. And it's ticking by itself inside. And it's meant to tick for 10,000 years by itself. Wow. It's being powered by the changes in the temperature day and night in the mountain in West Texas. And it's basically, it's kind of a computer that computes the time and it can look at the stars to keep itself precise. And once a day, around noon, there's some chimes in it, and their chimes are run with a unique melody for that day that will never be repeated, whether anybody's around or not. And there's a face on the clock that will show the current time if you wind it. So the people will make pilgrimage to it, and there's a way that you can update the clock to the current time. So it knows the time, but it doesn't show it unless you ask it by winding the face. Wow. So that's the purpose of that crazy clock is to remind people to think about the long-term. It's an icon of long-term 
program, a long-term responsibility, a long-term view. And what we're trying to encourage people is to think about being a good ancestor, how you can be a good ancestor, doing things and investing in things that might not pay off next year. It may take two decades or three decades. So we're kind of scaling things in time so maybe most of the benefits happened after we were gone. Hmm. And the reason why this is good is that we're actually starting a fundraising campaign ah, to fund uh-huh. this, including to making something like an endowment, um, the idea of giving money to the future. Um, and so uh, the Long Now Foundation, we run monthly seminars where we have people who are thinking about how to think long-term talk. Of course, these days it's all um, online. It used to be in San Francisco Live, but you can find all the several hundred past talks about people who have a long view. We call it the long now versus the short now. The short now is the last five minutes, the next five minutes. The long now is the last 10,000 years, the next 10,000 years. Most of the futurists that I know that are really good are also good historians because you want to think about what's happened in the long past and we have a long future. That's the long now. When we live in a society of immediacy yeah, where we can watch something live that perhaps would have taken us two years to know about it if we lived across the ocean. Uh, now, to see that, to hear about the Long Foundation is just, the Long Now Foundation is just, it's beautiful, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Thank the, you all the, for starting that. Right, sure. <laughs> really. You know, the immediacy is not going to go away. Uh, yeah. You know, I love instant Amazon delivery is more than most people. And um, I love the instant, you know, Netflixing of the world. And so more of that. But while we do that, let's also be good ancestors. Let's also invest some of what we do into thinking about future generations. And of course, you know, in terms of the environment and stuff, that's an essential part of what we're doing. So we can have lots of energy, cheap energy, and not harm the planet. We can have um, uh, cities dense with people and all this serendipity one city and wildlands that are f- where animals are living in the wild, wild and the whole system. We can do both. So we want that immediate city urban experience, but we can also care for and we should have wild lands in the oceans. This is the, the big step that we have to do right now. We've recognized having wilderness on land, but we have wilderness in the ocean where we don't fish and other areas that are kept as as wild as they can be. And we can fish in other areas. So so that's sort of, we, can, we need to have both of those. Right, that's beautifully said. So let's talk about your cool tools. I sure. Cool tools is an email, a list, a blog, and a book. Uh, right. So tell us about it and how it started. Oh my gosh! Well, I my first job as okay. I don't know where to start this. I was influenced by Stuart Brand's Whole Earth Catalog in the nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. which was subtitled Access to Tools. He was talking about 
cool tools that you needed no matter what you were doing. And um, in a pre-internet world, this was the internet. This was the, it was reader written. People would write in suggestions. He would edit them and then send them out on cheap newsprint really fast. So before there was a web, before there was an internet, this is what the, uh, how you found out about things like tools. And that was my love. And that was my first job working there. So very early on in my own life, I got the habit of uh, checking out, trying, using, recommending, evaluating tools that were useful in the widest possible way. And a tool meaning anything that was handy. So a calendar could be a tool, an app is a tool, a map is a tool, a book could be a tool. Of course, a hammer is a tool too. So um, I've been doing that for a long time. And um, when the internet came along, the whole earth catalog itself as a institution was no longer necessary and it kind of disappeared. But the more internet that came along, the idea of having a curated version as an email to my friends became something. So I started to send my own tool recommendations that I've been doing for so long because I couldn't help doing them to some friends by email. They liked it so much I decided to do something called, really new, it was called a blog. So um, I blogged them and we had a Cool Tools blog starting around 2003. And um, it's become a daily habit since then. Um, I have Recommendo now, which is a weekly newsletter where I do six with my, I do two a week with two other friends for six recommendations a week. So it's a habit that I just can't help doing, sharing cool stuff that um, I think people should know about. So, so here's the thing. I have a big book and we have a big website with thousands of cool tools. And you might look at it and feel like, oh, I need that one. I need to buy that one. I need to buy that one. I need to buy that one. We're not trying to incite consumerism. You don't actually need to buy these. You just need to know that they exist hmm. for several reasons. One is because knowing that a particular tool exists may come in very handy at some moment when you do need that thing, if you're making something. It's like, oh, I remember that there was a tool that could wind, uh, you know, jewelry wire or something. Or, you know, and, and so just knowing that exists. But more importantly, these are possibilities. Just knowing that there is a possibility of riding or adapting a bicycle to railways might suggest to you another possibility that you could do. Just, just knowing that these things are possible itself is a cool tool that can suggest even greater ideas on your own. Um, and of course, you can always borrow a tool from tool libraries, from a friend, and borrowing is actually, I, I think people love to lend their tools that they're not using that they have some affinity for. So um, this is not about consuming tools. This is knowing about these possibilities. So this I call this a catalog of possibilities. It's, it's, it's uh, did you know that you can find a freelancer to do whatever you find tedious online in overnight? Upwork, right? So Upwork is something that I'm a huge believer in. You can find really first world-class 
talent for very inexpensive who will do whatever it is you need to do, lawyering, designing a pamphlet, um, removing backgrounds in Photoshop, uh, making masks or doing something with music, making a logo, it doesn't matter. You can find them on Upwork very fast. They're working while you sleep. They're very professional and they're very inexpensive. Um, so that's a cool tool. You that's should know about it. You should know that that exists. If you're yeah. doing transcriptions, they can do transcriptions. If you need to have audio editing, they can do that. Um, whatever it is, we go to Upwork for trying to find these kinds of talents around the world. And they're very happy to be working in Indonesia wow. or whatever. Um, so you should know about that. That's the kind of thing that okay. they're talking about. So anything cool twos for the holidays that we should know about? Yeah, you know... Um, I was just going to reach around. Um, I just misplaced it. But um, I um, I have a, um, I'm a notebook person. So I do everything on the computer, but I am still believe in um, drawing things out in hand on ink in a notebook. And um, uh, the preferred Notebooks are called moleskins, which are, I find, kind of pricey and spendy. Um, but I found a version of them that are half the price, and they come in brilliant colored covers, um, and they have a nice, hefty paper on it that doesn't bleed. And um, uh, so I recommend these because um, you can do anything you want with them, scrapbook, journal, sketchbook, notebooks. All right. And they're called... Um, Millennialism. Hmm. Um, and can I just grab my you blind can. Back in a second? Sure, absolutely. Just take one second. One second. So this is my latest one. Ah. It's colored. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Minimalism. Minimalism art, I guess. It's minimalism art. And um, so I, yeah, I like to, um, I have a, a YouTube channel called Try where I make stuff. And this is where I do my um, designs oh, and uh -huh. thinking and oh, cool. uh, plans and all kinds of stuff. And um, I'm, yeah, notebooks. And so this uh, is a really awesome. hefty, sturdy, and less expensive version. And the bright colors will make you happy. Nice. All right. Sounds good. So before you go, though, I just first of all I want to tell you thank you for sharing. Sure, you're welcome. And welcome. thank you for all your wisdom. And also, will you let people know how to find you? Find Long Now, right? right. Uh, especially during this time, right? Um, cool tools and so on. Sure. Yeah. So I have a newsletter, as I mentioned, called Recommendo One M, and it comes out every Sunday morning. It's one page of um, stuff that we recommend, destinations, stuff to watch, people to follow, things that we like, tools we like. There's Cool Tools, which is the daily blog, and I think it's, uh, I don't know, just Google Cool Tools. <laughs> and um, for me, I, I still occasionally blog, and I have all my other stuff, um, including a new book coming out called Vanishing uh -huh. Asia, which will be 9,000 images of a disappearing Asia. That's an Instagram account called Vanishing Asia. But um, if you want to get me or even get my email, it's 
at kk.org. That's my initials, kk.org. Uh, and my email is kk at kk.org. So um, I'm easily findable. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter, Kevin to Kelly. And what else is there? Okay. Well, thank you so much for being You're here. Really, welcome. truly. So glad that I made that mark. <laughs> yes. I, I was looking forward to it. And thank you for having me. Oh, yes. I'd love to have you back when your book comes out. Thank okay. you so okay. much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.